We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I think Gabe Davis is the real deal. I'll say that at the top. You know, I'm always hesitant to overreact to training camp stuff, because especially, like you mentioned, even the one-on-one stuff, like you beat Trey White the other day, everybody was going nuts about that play. That's a big league NFL catch, like fighting for that all the way to the end of the play against an all-pro cornerback. I mean, that's no small feat. You want to see it in a game. The cool thing about Davis is, and why I think he's, you know, I'm entering the territory of I think he's going to be a campness kind of player, is because of who he's surrounded by. And the lack of need for him to produce at a high level right away. Everything you get from him in the rookie season is going to be gravy, because you got you know, arguably the best starting three receivers in the AFC. Davidson kind of come at his own pace. He's so good. He's so versatile. Everything that you go back and you watch his tape from from UCF and you see some of the big plays that he made there, man, that's all happening on the practice field right now. Welcome, everybody, to the AFCE's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Matt Perino from New York Upstate from last night's podcast talking about Gabe Davis and his impact in training camp. Chris, 
We're here in this edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast to talk about the best and worst storylines coming out of all the training camps taking place across the AFC East. Chris, it's a wild time to be a Bills fan. Yeah, I know. You know, you don't want to buy into all this hype. I mean, you know, Matt Perino said that Gabe Davis, he's the, the real deal. But, you know. He says he's seen it. We haven't been able to see it. We won't get to see it because there's no preseason. But, you know. So, Chris, the whole discussion tonight, we're going team by team around the horn style, and we're just talking about the things that we've heard that make us excited as fans and the things that make us cringe when you hear them coming out of each team's training camps to get a feel for where every team stands. Obviously, we start with the Buffalo Bills, and we're going to start with the worst, and we're going to end tonight's show. So, spoiler alert, if you want to skip past every other team here, which I don't recommend you do, because, Chris, there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, you got to know what's happening within the division. Especially if you're petty like we are. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Especially if you're petty like we are. There's some good stuff in there to take in. But if not, you can fast forward to the end and find out what we think is the best. But we're going to start with the most concerning storylines coming out of Bill's training camp. Chris, what's what's one of yours? Concerning? Jesus. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Concerning? Um, I don't know. Josh Allen, he missed one day of practice. Is that <laughs> concerning? <laughs> we actually started last week's show talking about that topic. Not to me. To me, it's the injuries. Okay, the injuries is probably one A. If I had to, if I had to call it that, Chris. When I look at this chart, according to ESPN, of all of our injuries, Josh Norman, Christian Wade, Taiwan Jones, Tremaine Edmonds, Quentin Jefferson, Tom Sweeney, Robert Foster, and John Feliciano. To me, those injuries are concerning, especially when you see guys missing practices in a year where you're not going to have a preseason. I mean, to break it down position by position, Norman, in a battle for quarterback two, as Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive podcast over at Buffalo Rumblings pointed out, this Norman injury is robbing him of valuable time to get into game shape. Chris, we already know that when he's at his best, Josh Norman can be one of the better cornerbacks in football. In the right system, with the right staff around him, I mean, what he picked off Josh Allen and everyone, whoa, splash play. And on that play, he hurt himself. Yeah. He needs to get into game shape, get acclimated to NFL speed. And the fact that he's not out there, Chris, what does that do for his bid to be our cornerback too? Uh, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't. It slows it down, but it does give allow other people on the depth chart to, to make a name for themselves. And if you listened yesterday, Matt Perino said that uh, was it Cam Lewis was taking that spot and kind of running with it. So The same could be said for Quentin Jefferson and Robert Foster. Robert Foster, who I still maintain is a lock to make this roster. I mean, he missed time. He's now out there in a red non-contact jersey. But it's not great. It's not great. He's still he's in the concussion protocol. Chris, that's foggy. Yeah, it is. You never know when that's going to get lifted. And then you look at Sweeney. Sweeney was a guy who showed promise last year. And we talked about it in the run-up to this season. That we hoped he would kind of be the guy who pushed Tyler Croft off the roster. Croft didn't exactly... What, Chris? His biggest play last year was the touchdown against uh, the Steelers? 
Yeah. And otherwise, that you was almost, his only play. Yeah. And then you forgot he was on the team other than that. And so you hoped Sweeney would kind of adopt a role that would push him off the roster. But now, Chris, he's on the pup list. Foot injury that he sustained at some point during this offseason training that the team had been doing on their own. He's never practiced with the team. He has yet to make the practice field. Chris, I mean, I don't know that he's going to lose his roster spot. I don't know how Kroom is doing. I haven't heard any word about him. I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen his name on social media. But Sweeney was a seventh-round pick that the team isn't married to. I think that Sweeney has the upside of a guy who could be a more athletic version of what they wanted out of Tyler Croft, but he hasn't had a chance to showcase it. Yeah, and how much how much time are you going to give Sweeney before he just cut him loose? And then Feliciano. His injury is robbing us not just of cohesiveness and chemistry on the offensive line. It's also robbing him of time to acclimate to the to just NFL speed. I mean, I keep harping on this week after week after week. But NFL linemen on both sides of the ball have come out in droves, telling the press that the lack of a preseason is absolutely going to set them back. Because what they do for a living is predicated on this ability to incorporate physicality into the game. Not just technique, not just getting the reps in and knowing where they got next to them. It's the ability to put a body on a body and move the guy across from you forcibly against his will. I mean, Chris, who was it? I think it was Bruce Nolan who gave us the quote that football is just property. What is it? Uh, property acquisition through violence. Sounds about right. That sounds and like something I he'd say. I love that because he said on a base level, that's what appeals to people about this. That's what appeals to people about football. It's what NFL linemen do on both sides of the ball. The fact that they can't do that, Chris, through the whistle as aggressively as you would in a game setting. These linemen are kind of robbed of an experience that they're going to get their first live action in a game where the wins and losses suddenly matter. Feliciano is even further set back from that because, Chris, think about it. The longer he's out, the longer it's going to take for him to get ready to actually play. Meaning that even when his injury window closes, the 8 to 12 week mark, he still might not be ready to get on the field for a month. That's, uh, yeah, that's insane there. That's terrifying. It's depressing. But hey, at least we're not the New York Jets. I know. That's why we got winters. When you look at their roster right now, Chris, I'm looking at the list right now on uh, from ESPN.com. In our show, Chris, 16 total injuries. Two of them are just out, including Joe Flacco, their backup quarterback, and Vincent Smith, one of the wide receivers, who nobody even knows his name, and he's out, and that's causing the team to go out to the street and bring in guys like Dante Moncrief. Ooh. Yeah, yeah ooh. Ooh. Kevin White! Kevin White is in uh, New Jersey. He's hanging out in Florham Park, and no one knows why. Well, I know, because your wide receiver course sucks. Ultimately, Chris, when I look at this, in, in our show a few months ago, with Dr. Kyle Trimble from BangedUpBills.com, we outlined how different NFL training programs are. We outlined how some teams, like he was saying, he's like, the, the New York Giants had a manual that was 42 pages long. And then the Texans had a manual that was 12. 12 pages. Guess which team 
had more injuries. Jets. <laughs> Jets. What I'm saying is, is that these training programs, Chris, the Bills staff just won an award. The Bills head trainer was just recognized as one of the best at his profession for being the chief of staff of trainers, doctors, guys who oversee the health of the Buffalo Bills. And when you look at our injury list, I mean, it's it obviously concerns us as fans. But what, it's seven players? You look at the laundry list of people on the Jets team who's hurt. Chris, what's one thing that's followed Adam Gase around throughout his entire career? Uh, his refusal to build an offensive line? Nah, that and the injury bug. And so with that said, it's you look at this and go, well, at least I have that as a Bills fan to hang my hat on. The injuries may suck. But at least I'm not the Jets. We have our first guest of the evening, Mr. Scott Mason of the Play Like a Jet podcast over at the Turn of the Jets Network. How are you doing tonight, Scott? Doing better than the Jets receiving core. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> for, our, for our listeners who are not familiar with Mr. Mason, he does a weekly show with Manish Mehta. They do, uh, how many times a week do you guys even record podcasts over there now? It's a daily show. It's actually been seven days a week for a while now. Manish is one of the weekly guests. Chris Nibley has been coming on to do training camp reports. We actually started doing that a couple of years ago. Daryl Slater, who's at NJ.com, but at the time he was covering the Jets. Now he does general NFL. He would call me on his ride home from Florham Park because he'd have a 45-minute ride. So we would record a daily update. And the fans really loved it, and I loved doing it because it was, as a Jets fan, what I wanted to hear about was a detailed description of everything that went on at camp that day, and it really caught on. So I've been doing it every year ever since. Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com is doing it, and especially now more than ever, you guys know this, it is very important to have somebody who is your eyes and ears at camp who really knows football and can give you an accurate picture because – even though fans weren't let into a lot of these practices before, now they're let into zero practices. So we're relying on a handful of people to really tell us what's going on. Oh, absolutely. We were joking around about it in our last show with uh, Matt Perino of New York Upstate. Talking about how, thanks COVID, one more thing that got stolen from me is in-depth information coming out of training camp. Yeah, no question. It's... Not the worst thing that has happened because of Corona, but it's certainly a very unpleasant side effect. And like I said, you've got a handful of people now that are allowed in the building that can actually tell you what's going on. So I think it's very important to get as much information as possible. And unfortunately with the Jets, a lot of what's been going on at training camp involves the wide receivers, which is a core that was sort of weak to begin with and now it just looks like it's headed for a complete disaster well and that's it and i guess that's the theme of tonight's show and that's a good jumping off point we're talking about the best and worst storylines to come out of each camp and i had to ask i mean it's on my bullet point list of things i prepare for each guest just in case they have a topic they want to talk about your skill positions still aren't settled i mean you're shuffling the deck at wide receiver does this qualify as the worst storyline coming out of your training camp right now? Uh, no question, because the receiving core wasn't strong to begin with, like I was saying. And now you've got all these injuries. 
And it all started with Quincy Inunua. Everybody knew that the odds of Inunua coming back weren't strong because he just has been getting hurt and getting hurt and getting hurt. And I had an orthopedic surgeon who has been doing sports injuries for 35 years on my show regularly during the season. And he had told me he would bet that there's a 99.9% chance that Inunua never plays again. And then, obviously, he went on IR. They ended up releasing him. So he was the first domino to fall, although everybody sort of expected it. Then we get to Denzel Mims, the rookie out of Baylor, who everybody's excited, dropped to the Jets in the second round after they traded down to number 59. It's a guy that a lot of people, including myself, thought was a first-round talent. He gets hurt early in camp, and now he hasn't played since, and we're still waiting to find out when he comes back. Rashad Perriman, who's the guy they signed to replace Robbie Anderson, who was their best receiver last year, as you guys know. Anderson goes to Carolina. Perriman comes in here on a one-year deal. Look good early in camp. Now he's hurt. He's supposed to come back soon, but still another injury. And then Vincent Smith, who was here last year primarily as the kick returner, but had a couple of nice moments at receiver. Apparently he was impressing some coaches. He had surgery. He's out for two months. So now you're looking at Chris Hogan, who you guys are familiar with for a variety of reasons. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before, before you guys get to your Jets broadcast, let me preface this by saying he played lacrosse. He played lacrosse in college. Just... <laughs> no. Yeah, there's a lot of that now with the Mackay Becton is big thing. Everybody, oh, Mackay Becton is big. Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah, that, but so it's it's been crazy because you're looking at Chris Hogan as a potential starter. Now Lawrence Cager, who is an undrafted free agent out of Georgia, who a lot of fans like because he's been doing well in practice the last couple of days. Big kid with good hands. He gets hurt now. We don't know what's going on with him. So you're looking at now Chris Hogan. You're looking at Jamison Crowder, who's really good, but still a slot receiver. We're waiting to see what happens with Perriman. Mims isn't even back yet. This is crazy. Kevin White who was a colossal bust in 2015. He was picked right behind Leonard Williams, number seven. They brought him in for a look, so they're I, looking everywhere. I couldn't wait to just... ask you, what the hell is Kevin White doing in New Jersey right now? Why would you, get, why would you guys even let him in your city? I would, <laughs> if I found out that Kevin White was in Buffalo, Chris, I'd demand he leave. I'd be like, guys, go tell You'd him. Go listen, get a U-Haul truck yourself and I will help him? him move his stuff out. I don't care what it is. I'd show up. He'd have dinner. I'd show up, and I'd sit down at his table, and I'd politely tell him, Kevin, you're, you seem like a nice guy. You can hang out here in Buffalo for as long as you'd like, enjoy the atmosphere, soak it up, go see the falls. But before sundown, I need you to get the hell out of here because you're not welcome. Because <laughs> his presence underscores the fact that you guys are desperate at the skill positions. And to your point, so much of it is injury related. Before we brought you on the air, we were talking about it. 16 total players injured. What mm-hmm. Two are just out. Vincent Smith and Joe Flacco. And 14 <laughs> questionable, including multiple starters. I mean, you guys are just reaching for it on a team that was already thirsty for playmakers. A question for you is, how has this impacted Sam Darnold? I feel like that's something I haven't heard anything about in the media. That almost makes me concerned, considering what I know about how hyperbolic the New York media can be. <laughs> well, Darnold's looked pretty good at camp, but listen, it's a legitimate concern going into the regular season because what a lot of people have said is that year one, Darnold was a rookie. We all know the situation there. Rookie's going to struggle. Year two, he had mono, and he didn't have great weapons on top of it, so it was a rough situation. And now year three, everybody's saying make or break, but 
they didn't really do a ton to put weapons around him. Mims, you're hoping, is going to be a really good receiver, but how good is he going to be year one? We don't really know. Perriman looked really good the last couple games last year, but he'd been a disappointment before that. They let Robbie Anderson, their best receiver from last year, go to Carolina. And look, look at what Buffalo did with uh with Josh Allen, they surrounded him with Stefan Diggs, one of the best receivers in the NFL. They've clearly put weapons around him. Now, I would probably differ with you guys as far as your opinion on Josh Allen. I'm not a big believer in him, but if you are a believer in him, you've got to do everything you can to put weapons around him. And clearly, Brandon Bean has done that. Joe Douglas, listen, he took over a difficult situation, so it wasn't going to happen overnight. But you've got a tough spot here because Darnold is going into this critical year three and while I know Douglas has six years to turn this around, it's sort of a weird timeline with Darnold going into year three. So what you end up with now is, as you said, going into the regular season with a very thin wide receiver core. And now you're looking at Sam Darnold having to deal with a real deficiency as far as playmakers. I hope that they're going to lean on Chris Herndon, who's back and hopefully healthy. I hope they're going to use Le'Veon Bell much more efficiently in the passing game this year because they're going to have to do it because that wide receiving core is so thin. I'm not going to lie. I don't envy you guys just hearing all of this. There's got to be a silver lining here for Jets fans somewhere, right? There has to be. If you could pick the best storyline, the best thing you've heard, the most encouraging thing you've heard come out of training camp through the first week and a half, what would it be? There are a couple of things. I think the first thing that sticks out to me is that two of the players that a lot of the Jets' futures depend on have looked really, really good, and those two players are Quinn and Williams and Makai Becton. Now, obviously, Becton is coming in here. He's a little bit raw. He hasn't even played in his first NFL game yet, but you've heard a lot of really positive things about him. He has lost a little bit to Jordan Jenkins in exchanges, but I think that's actually a good thing in the long run because – if he is exposed to some of these moves that he hasn't had to deal with before in training camp, then it's going to be a lot easier for him to deal with it when it comes to the regular season and he has to go up against these guys in live games. And then Quentin Williams has just been like a man amongst boys out there. He got into much better shape. He's been throwing guys around. He looks quick as a cat. So those two guys, Williams, who was picked last year, number three overall, and then Becton, who was picked number 11 overall, in the draft in 2020 are guys that are going to be staples of this team or you hope will be staples of this team going forward. So that's one of the most encouraging things is that those guys seem to be really showing up early on and showing a lot of promise. So it's not all bad news here for the Jets, at least not in the long run. Short run, especially at wide receiver, it's a little dicey. See, and I guess that's the thing, Chris. That Jets team is going to really need their defense to anchor them if they have any hope of making it out of the first five weeks of football. Yeah, they got a hard schedule. I mean, we talked about it with Connor, uh, Connor Rogers from Badlands over at Turn on the Jets. Sure. And we talked about the difficulty in that first five-game stretch, the front sevens that offensive line is going to see. What do you think about the offensive line so far? I know <laughs> Connor said that he was hopeful that they kind of upgraded the athleticism overall. What's played out as camp has gotten underway? Well... The best thing I can say is that new doesn't always mean significantly better. <laughs> what I've been hearing about the offensive line on a daily basis is that they've had their moments, but overall, it's very much a work in progress. With Becton, 
you knew what you were getting. You were getting a raw kid who has a ton of ability but is going to have his struggles because that's always what happens with rookie offensive tackles, particularly guys like Becton who has an incredibly high ceiling, but we knew that he's somebody that needs to work on some things, including his technique, his handwork, and such. And then you have an, a bunch of other guys. Alex Lewis, he's fine. He's a return from last year. He's been hurt every year of his career, so you keep your fingers crossed that he stays healthy. If he stays healthy, he's okay. And then there's some swings and such. George Fant is interesting because they brought him in here from Seattle. He's a guy that's never been a full-time starter, but he got better as time wore on. Joe Blewett, who you know from JetsXFactor.com, who does fantastic film breakdowns, has said that the more that he watched Fant, the better Fant got. Now, does that mean he's going to turn into a consistently good starter? I have no idea. We have to cross our fingers. Connor McGovern is a solid center. He's done pretty well in training camp. That's the one that should be an instant upgrade for the Jets. And then the other guard spot is Greg Van Roten. Is he even an upgrade over a healthy Brian Winters, who you guys have now? I'm not so sure, but at least he's cheaper. He's generally been healthier, and maybe he's a better fit for what they're looking to do. But I think if we're being realistic here and we're being fair, if everything goes well, maybe that offensive line is around 20 to 22, which sounds terrible. But if you think about how bad it was last year, that's actually a significant improvement. Well, yeah, last year you guys were a sieve. Now, Chris, that situation he's outlining with Fant, doesn't that sound part-time starter, gotten some snaps, played a reserve role? Doesn't that sound like Inseki? Yeah, it does. Okay. That's a guy that ended up playing 50% of our team's snaps for us last year for the Buffalo Bills. Really kind of saved Cody Ford's ass multiple times over the course of the year. Maybe Fant finds himself in that kind of a role. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how training camp continues to play out. I just think you guys are really in for it, given that, that, given that our, like our offensive line has played together before as a five-man unit. Mm-hmm. Now we're missing Feliciano. You're kind of stuck with a, five guys who have never played in live action, and you're. I said you guys are the most hurt by no preseason because there's no live bullets until it actually matters in the win-loss column. So with that in mind, and before we let you go, I just have one final question. I've been following your weekly show with Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. What's it like to have a weekly show with someone who has just such a love-hate relationship with the Jets fan base? It's definitely interesting. The thing about Manish, and everybody will ask me, why do you give Manish a platform when he's always mean to the Jets? Well, he hasn't (laughs) always been mean to the Jets. In fact, he gushes over Sam Darnold as an example. The funny thing about that, of course, as you guys know, is Manish is a columnist slash beat reporter for the jet covering the jets for the daily news which is one of the biggest newspapers in the country and actually the world he's got eighty thousand followers on twitter he's on tv plenty he doesn't need me so it's just really funny that people are like why are you giving him a platform but i think it's interesting because the thing that i like to do doing a daily podcast is i like a variety of different voices who give different perspectives and if manish says something that i find completely off the rails or whatever i'll challenge him i put i press him and he knows i'm gonna do it so people that listen to the show know that I'm not afraid to go at them when I feel like I need to. In fact, we had a really spirited discussion about the Jamal Adams situation, especially the trade to Seattle and how it played out and everything. It, he definitely is a lightning rod. I think he leans into it. He would probably admit that he leans into it a Why lot. Why wouldn't you? But I just like having a variety of different voices. Listen, I've talked about this before, but 
Michael Nania, who does tremendous work with statistics. He comes on the show all the time to give the statistical perspective. Joe Blewett gives the film. He does a great job with that. Chris Nimbley comes on and answers fan questions and breaks news as well. And he's very down the middle. Manish has controversial opinions, but it's all, he's also different. And on top of that, listen, for as much as people want to bag on him for certain things, he does break stories quite a bit that other people don't. I mean, for example, he was the one that had the Jordan Jenkins re-signing, and he actually had it to a, the dollar figure before anybody else had it. Literally no one else had that story. He had it. So, like I said, yes, he's controversial. Yes, he's a, a lightning rod. But I like presenting a variety of different perspectives. And so it's fun having Manish on because he's different than all the other guests. Well, and you definitely do a good job with that. As I let you go, I'm going to leave you with this. The vibe I get as an outsider is that the New York Jets roster, I'm going to compare it to a boat that you build in your backyard. You're all excited about it. You're proud of what you did. Even though you know you cut some corners, you kind of jerry-rigged some things and it's construction due to cost, inability to find the exact right part, but you've got something here that seems like it's serviceable. And you're, re- you're excited to go launch this thing. And then you put it in the water. And while it doesn't sink like a rock, you're bailing out a lot more water than you'd like to. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with that, sir, and I appreciate you joining our show tonight. Ryan, where can the people find your stuff on social media? You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. All the shows are up at TurnOnTheJets.com and also all the places that you would normally find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, all that, anywhere that you choose to listen. And as I said before, uh, you mentioned Manish is on once a week. Chris Nimbley has been coming on for the Daily Training Camp Report. So listen, if you're a Bills fan and you want to know what's going on at training camp on a daily basis for the Jets, they're quick 20 to 30-minute podcasts. You don't even have to be a Jets fan. You could just be a Bills fan who wants to hear what's going on with the Jets because, remember, the Jets are playing the Bills week one, so it's a good way to get intel and understand what the enemy is up to right now. And then also Joe Blewett comes on to do film breakdowns. Michael Nania does all the statistical stuff. So we have a wide variety of people that come on regularly and a ton of other people that, that come on as well from time to time. So if you want to check it out, turn on the jets.com at play like a jet one on Twitter, and you can download the podcast, iTunes, Google play and anywhere else where you download your podcast. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus red zone and direct tv fantasy zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players no matter where you live nfl sunday ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious sundays ever use the promo code blue wire at checkout to get 15 percent off your subscription visit nfl sunday ticket.tv and use promo code blue wire and now we get to one of the parts of the podcast that really grinds my gears because we have to talk about the new england patriots chris i'm a petty man yeah i hate that football team i probably will forever but tonight to talk to us about patriots training camp we have mike debate of locked on patriots the the part of the locked on network something that everybody Chris if you listen to podcasts you know what the Lockdown Network is right yeah they got podcasts for every team every sport and Mike kills it over there with the Lockdown Patriots Mike how are you doing tonight 
I'm doing well, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Really appreciate it. No, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I mean, you've been covering Patriots camp like crazy. It has been. It's been a little bit different this year, much more virtual uh, in my coverage this year anyway than it has been in years past. But the Patriots have been very good, you know, doing a lot of Zooms, uh, getting a chance to uh, get uh, up close and personal with a lot of the new Patriots and some of the old faces as well. So interesting times in Foxborough. There's never a dull moment in New England Patriots training camp. And once again, this year is no exception. Well, and I think that's one of the things, like in this uh in an earlier podcast we recorded this week with Matt Perino of NewYorkUpstate.com, one of the things he articulated was just how much it's changed trying to do the job of a reporter with the current climate because it's all virtual now. You don't get any FaceTime with players. You don't get any side conversations or off-the-record type stuff. Your access is very limited. And also what you're allowed to tell the public about camp is limited, point blank and period. So with that said, training camp information has been it's been hard to come by, which was kind of the idea behind this entire thing, and the Patriots were one of the reasons that I wanted to do this show. Thinking best and worst storylines coming out of every training camp, I want to start with the best. What is the if there's something that has just really stuck out to Patriots fans out there as positive coming out of camp in the early goings, what has it been? Well, I think the easy answer to that question is probably Cam Newton emerging as quarterback one for the New England Patriots. And it probably sounds like a cop-out to say that, but there were a lot of people, myself included, early on in this process that really believed this was going to be a true quarterback competition. And for all intents and purposes, gentlemen, I just believe it was when you looked at the way the reps were being doled out the minute the Patriots started to take the practice fields they were even across the board whether it be Jared Stidham whether it be Cam Newton or whether it be Brian Hoyer all of a sudden now with Stidham nursing a little bit of a lower body injury we haven't gotten too much indication on that each day his workload increases but it's becoming more and more obvious that this offense this uh, Patriots team is going to be molded in the image of Cam Newton Uh, Cam looks to be stepping into his throws a lot easier some of the uneasy feelings that Patriots fans might have had about his throwing shoulder or his foot the injuries that have kept him out of action for the better part of the last couple of years don't seem to be there anymore Cam looks healthy he looks locked in he's developing a great synergy with guys like Julian Edelman uh, even Nikhil Harry the last couple of days uh, they've looked good and they've looked solid in camp so cam emerging as the quarterback one would probably be the feel-good story or the best storyline coming out of that i don't want to let that question go by though without giving some love to the new tight ends on this team because this was a position that so many people believed would be uh left out in the wasteland uh, after rob gronkowski retired well, not to cut you saw off what the patriots no, look no, like I was i'm saying, sorry go ahead. no i was saying not to cut you off but we ragged and this is why i feel bad because now you're gonna get put through the ringer kind of the way we treat mark schofield where we're just passing the love on because we're petty individuals we ragged on mark schofield so badly about chris in the offseason about how poorly that tight end group performed yeah matt lacoste uh what was it uh, the ghost of ben watson somehow he was still <laughs> fo- <laughs> I mean, there was there was there was guys floating around i mean there, there was just it was terrible what you guys fielded at tight end, and you could see it in the production of the overall offense. They couldn't run block well. They didn't. They gave you nothing in the passing game. I think 
they accounted for less than 20 total uh, 20 total first downs over the course of a season. That's very much unlike a Patriots offense that we've ever seen with Tom Brady at the helm. So if you're telling me this new tight end group is, I mean, because Chris, they devoted multiple draft picks to it. Yeah. They really did kind of throw bodies at the at it with youth in the kind of, I guess, in the mold of trying to remake that position. Are you saying that that's really kind of coming to fruition and that these young guys are finding their footing quick? Uh, they are finding their footing very quickly, and I'm not saying that these two guys are going to go out and be Pro Bowl caliber tight ends right off the bat. That's an unrealistic expectation for anybody to put on anyone's shoulders. But Devin Asiasi in particular has been the most impressive member of this rookie tight end group. Uh, his quickness, his route running really stood out to me during practice. Physicality as a blocker is something that wasn't necessarily Devin's strong suit in college. I think he's done a tremendous job of doing that in training camp. Uh, he doesn't have many other competitors stepping up right now. So this really looks to be his role in terms of tight end one for this team. And I think he's going to turn some heads doing it. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be punching his card to the Pro Bowl, but I do believe that there is something there, especially with Asiasi. I'm very impressed by what I see with him. Dalton Keene is a little bit of a different type of, a, of an animal, but he's the same type of dedicated player that the Patriots need at this position. He comes from a run-based offense at Virginia Tech. It doesn't really resemble what New England or other NFL teams are doing. So I think in a lot of ways, uh, Keen is going to be the complementary piece, maybe even sort of an H-back or a fullback type role that plays the tight end role well, can get out in the open field, make some things happen. And I think they actually have something there with the two of them. Uh, you're absolutely right to rag on the tight end position last year. It was abysmal, folks. Uh, there is no sugarcoating that. Matt Lacoste, Ryan Izzo, uh, Benjamin Watson was a shell of what he used to be, uh, fighting injuries and, and age all year long. I think Ben gave everything he could He's out there. He's an old man. But uh, there just wasn't much. <laughs> there just wasn't much man. left in the tank. Absolutely. So they had nowhere to go but up. But at the same time, that also opens the door for these guys to be impressive. And I think you'll be impressed by what you see by them this year. Chris, doesn't that sound terrible? Yeah, I don't need. <laughs> I don't need like to know that the Patriots could have a, a second coming of tight ends, like what they had with Gronk and Hernandez. <sighs> And then he's over here talking about how Cam Newton's stepping up. I mean, Stidham's injury, I just assumed it was wounded pride after all those interceptions. I was like, I don't know, is he nursing a hip or is it just his ego? He got in. I heard that Stidham got injured uh, at a clothing store putting his foot through the leg hole of a romper. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a good one, guys. Uh, well, uh, you know, he, he might have just reached for something that Josh Allen overthrew him because you know, after all, he does that to everybody. You know? oh, you know, why not? Why not? You know, try to take out your competition. But uh, no, nah, I kid, folks. I, I really love this really guy. Kid. See, Chris, love it. <laughs> Home run right out of the gate. <laughs> so, so it's switching gears here. The most concerning storyline, in your opinion, coming out of training camp to this point? Uh, I would say probably most concerning would be the linebacking core, because if there was one hallmark that the Patriots really hung their hat on last year, it was a dominant defense led by a very athletic, very savvy linebacking core. And four out of five of those guys that were the core members of that linebacking core last year, guys, are not there in New England this year. Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Landon Roberts, 
all gone via free agency. They're not there anymore. Uh, Dante Hightower, who is the heart and soul of that uh, defense, especially in the middle part of the field, opted out. He will not be playing in 2020. So they're going to be relying on a lot of rookies, a lot of young players, guys with a lot of promise. But when you have to put that type of load on their shoulders, it's going to be interesting to see if they can live up to it. Now, they do have some solid players there, and I've been impressed by what I've seen with the rookies in particular, Anthony Jennings, Josh Uche. These guys came in. Uh, taken to coaching very well. They seem to be working very well with the linebackers coach. Gerard Mayo, who used to play linebacker for the New England Patriots, is now coaching that unit. He's been doing a great job with this team. But if there is an Achilles heel of the New England Patriots right now on defense, that's the area to exploit. They look pretty sound when it comes to the defensive front, especially the interior of the offensive line. They lost Danny Shelton. Bo Allen hasn't seen the field yet. But Byron Coward, the second-year defensive tackle, stepping up doing big things for the Patriots. And, of course, their secondary is one of the more formidable in the league. Uh, They're going to be stacked once again this year, led by a guy you know very well, and uh, Stephon Gilmore. So if there's an area right now that's a concern for me, it would be the linebacking core being able to step up and provide that type of leadership and, of course, play on the field that the Patriots relied on so heavily last year. And nothing about the kicker position. I'm surprised that... I have to bring this up because, I, again, I'm petty and I hate the Patriots and I'm going to bring up every <laughs> negative thing I can get my hands on. Veteran Nick Folk in town, rumored to be signing a contract as of Sunday. Who I don't even know if that's happened yet because I oh, the Patriots. But <laughs> here's the question. Even that visit, is this – I mean, you guys just spent, what, a fifth-round draft pick, I believe, because you took your kicker – you took your kicker, Justin Vorwasser, prior to us drafting kicker Tyler Bass. Is this Bill Belichick wanting to bring in competition to push the rookie Rohrwasser? Or is there some speculation that this rookie just might not be doing enough to impress that guy? I mean, he's a curmudgeon. Belichick strikes me as the type of guy that you could paint the Mona Lisa and he'd tell you what you did wrong with it. <laughs> I like that analogy. I'm actually going to use that. That's pretty good, guys. Uh, I will give proper credit where credit is due, I assure you. Rockpile Report came up with that one. (laughs) But uh, no, all kidding aside, the kicking situation, uh, he signed on Monday. He's here on Monday. He did some kicking, and uh, he also uh, uh, kicked today. As a matter of fact, he's looked to be the more consistent of the two between he and Justin Rohrwasser. The Bottom line, the scuttlebutt on Raw Wasser right now is that he is nursing an injury. Now, there's a lot of undisclosed information going on, a lot of speculation, but no one's been able to put their finger on exactly what is wrong. So be that as it may, people are going to draw conclusions. I'm sure anyone uh, that's either a fan or uh, a vehement uh, hater of the New England Patriots is going to determine what is wrong with Rohrwasser. But at the same time, the Patriots invested a fifth-round draft pick. Say what you will about Bill Belichick. He's not a guy that throws away draft capital just for the sake of messing with the fan base or throwing a curveball at the media or just being defiant and say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. There was something there. This guy did make a good amount of kicks when he was with Marshall. Uh, He was uh, capable of making kicks in poor weather. Uh, He had a game winner against Western Kentucky that was well over 50 yards uh, in very poor weather conditions. Word has it that caught the eye of the Patriots brass, and they were very impressed by this kid. Also was able to work out uh, during uh, the beginning part of what ended up being a very, very short season of pro day workouts uh, post uh, combine. 
he was able to get in some work, and I think the Patriots saw that. So whether or not it's going to end up being a good pick for them, the jury is still very much out on that. Uh, Rohrwasser has not been impressive in training camp, and I have no problem saying that. But at the same time, I think with what they've invested in him to try to bring him in, uh, the Patriots are going to try to roll with this. And I think Falk being there is A, insurance if he is indeed injured and can't kick the way he's capable of, or maybe sometimes just to give him a little bit of a nudge and, uh, you know, bring out the best in him. Good old-fashioned competition works, folks. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm not overly concerned about the kicking situation just yet because I do believe that eventually Rawasa will come into his own. Chris, week one, you're the New England Patriots head coach. You need a game-winning kick from 56. Game-winning kick from 56. Who do you trust? A rookie? That you drafted in the fifth round. Kari Vedvik. <laughs> That's who I trust. Or veteran kicker Nick Folk. I don't know if Nick Folk would have the leg to kick 56. I'd probably go with a rook. Oh, man. It's a, that to me, just, just, that's something I can tuck under my pillow and feel good about at night. Just, <laughs> just some, a little bit of uncertainty up in New England. It always helps me sleep at night. Mike, you're a professional. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Where can people find your work and where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on social media at M-D-A-V-A-T-E-F-P-C. You can find me each and every day on the Locked On Podcast Network hosting Locked On Patriots. Uh, draft coverage, uh, well, draft coverage, I should say, draft picks in camp, uh, coverage all week long. We're covering a lot of the rookies, profiling them, seeing exactly how they're performing, who's performing up to par, who's performing less than we had expected, and who needs to step up in order to make this roster. So looking forward to starting the season and looking forward to a great one-two punch in the uh, uh, AFC East this year, guys. I say this with every bit of sincerity. I'm really impressed by the Buffalo Bills roster, top to bottom, offense, defense. This is a stacked team, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do this year in the AFC East. So it uh, should be interesting, and uh, if you guys would like, I would definitely love to come back on sometime soon. From tight muscles. Tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic grown in the U.S. And their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion, or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeting relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. 
but only until Labor Day. Go right now to Theragun.com slash BlueWire. Now here to talk to us tonight about how life is going down in South Beach, Elf Artiaga of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. One of the one of the few guests we have tonight who's actually attending training camp. Elf, how you doing? Great. And you just did something that uh, that us here in Miami absolutely despise, and that's when the national media says that everything down here is South Beach. <laughs> and South Beach is actually two blocks by the beach, really far away from where the Dolphins play. <laughs> Dolphins play in Miami Gardens, which is about, I'd say, about 20 minutes from where I live, which is in Miami Lakes, which is a suburb. And I, for me to get to South Beach from here, I, it would take me about an hour and 15 minutes through traffic. And if you if you really and then when I get there, all it is is it's it's two blocks. If you really want to know Florida, you just go to Fort Lauderdale. That's where you get to know Florida. (laughs) Is you go to the heart of Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale's nice. Always been nice. I'll say this, Elf. That's exactly how Bills fans feel every time it's the middle of a Bills game and they show Niagara Falls, and it's like, don't (laughs) don't trick people into thinking that Buffalo and Niagara Falls are even the same city. Stop it. Yeah, like when they show a Jets game and they show Manhattan, it's like it's it's nowhere near Manhattan. Yeah, I see I, Manhattan. Yeah, you see the Chrysler building and you're like, wait a minute. It's different states. The, the, those <laughs> the, this this is East Rutherford. The tallest thing they have there is smokestacks. <laughs> but so talking about Miami Dolphins training camp, what's it been like being on premises for these practices and knowing that you can't really talk too too in depth about them? What's that like? It's strange because our podcast prides itself on like really getting into the weeds of what the team is doing and who's on the first team, who's on the second team, who's on the third team. Uh, what does their quarters coverage looks like? Uh, what's the there's seven DBs that they go to when they do their game simulations? All those things, and we can't do any of that stuff. So it's mostly smoke signals that we sent out, and people just have to guess by <laughs> my cryptic tweets with. That I put on the three yards per carry account as far as who starts, who doesn't, who's moving up the depth chart, and who's not. <laughs> Did you like my tweet tweeted to you today? From on a scale of fifty cent to Takashi six nine, how overrated is the hype about Tua Tagovail? And what was my answer? Oh, it was big pun. No, it was uh, Biggie oh, Smalls. Big, Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls, that's how overrated this is. So the purpose of tonight's show is we're talking about the best and worst storylines to come out of each training camp so far. Now, having been in attendance, I'm sure you have a couple of your own that you've kind of just seen play out in front of you that you've heard amongst Dolphins fans. Let's start, at the, let's start with the positive. What, what do you think is the most positive story coming out of Dolphins camp so far this summer? That the offensive line looks pretty damn good. And Austin Jackson is a very pleasant surprise. And they have a, a late draft pick in Solomon Kinley, who's moving up the depth chart. And if you follow what the what the beat writers are saying, he's a, evidently going to be a starter in their minds. And I guess in my minds, too, because I'm, I'm there. I'm actually watching him play on the first team. <laughs> See, now that's... Don't say, I can't say that too loud. <laughs> But he's really good, and he reminds a guy like you guys might know this guy because he was a, a fan favorite down here, but he came from you guys, and that's Jamie Nails. Do you remember him? Yes. He was like 6'8", 350. <laughs> well, this, this guy is about 6'6", 350, Jeez. and he can move, and he's fun to watch in practice. 
he's a hitter. He's a mover. He's he's all hustle. He's fun to watch. And it looks like he's going to be a contributor this year. Now, Chris, that's interesting to me because when we had Elf on the show during the run up to, you know, as we were kind of previewing training camps as a whole, we were kind of giving you a hard time, Elf, about the lack of a starting caliber left tackle or at least one that had any NFL experience. And we talked mm-hmm. about how Austin Jackson got kind of beat up by the defensive end we just drafted in the second round in that bowl game. So everything we're reading, though, and I mean, I was reading a report today that it sounds like Emmanuel Ogba had a good day against him, you know, but that's going to happen. I mean, he's still mm-hmm. a rookie. He's still learning. I'm surprised to hear names like Kindley. I'm surprised to hear names like, you know, oh, what was the other young player whose name was getting thrown around? There was another young offensive lineman who I kind of, at the time, just figured he was a throwaway pick, who they're talking about being a solid second teamer. And it's like, oh, maybe their depth is going to gel faster than expected. Well, Donnell Stanley, the the center, he's working every day, and he seems like a guy that could make the team. Really? Awesome. And he could, and he's an interior lineman. Robert Hunt, uh, so far, I would say, is not a starter, but he's getting there. It, and I was saying today on the on the Three Arch McCarry Twitter account that don't get too disheartened over Robert Hunt. It's not that he's been bad. It's that the guys in front of him have actually been better. So they have capable guys. The, the offensive line has not, has not looked bad. It really has not. Yeah. And we were expecting it to be a problem, and it hasn't been so far. Now, Chris, does that concern you? As a fan, hearing that, hey, this piece of a opposing team that we figured we'd hear was hot garbage, that, at least again, against a remade defensive front seven that they spent a lot of money on specifically so that they would get more pressure and that they could generate more production from that group, their offensive line seems to be holding up better. I guess it'd be a little, like, I guess skeptical would be more along those lines because here in Buffalo, I mean, the hot name around camp has been Gabe Davis. We we talked about Gabe Davis in our show uh, yesterday with uh, Matt Perino from New York Upstate and how much love he's getting. And you, you see that. Elf. I mean, in your experience around training camps, you see that there's some names that start to get thrown around, like the Kindleys of the world, who you look at and you say, here's a young guy who's standing out. He looks like he's going to be great. But we all know that when it comes down to live action, sometimes those guys shrink a little bit. Yeah. So out of that, though, you seem it sounds like things are trending in the right direction, at least with that offensive line. Now, in terms of the worst storyline to come out of Dolphins camp, and I think I already have an idea of what it might be, but I'm going to let you go ahead and answer it. In your opinion, what's the worst thing you've seen or heard so far, at least thematically? Well, I would say it, it's it's pretty obvious when you get there, although they, they've had, they had a couple of good days this week, and that's the wide receiver core. Alan Hearns opted out. He figured to contribute as a slot receiver. And Albert Wilson opted out, and he, con- he figured to contribute as a deep threat and a run-after-catch guy. So what are you really left with? You're left with Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, two guys that we're very happy with. And Jakeem Grant, who's exciting when he gets the ball, but he's, he's always injured. Let's, let's face it, the guy, he doesn't finish seasons. He just doesn't. And he, and he doesn't finish seasons because he's so small, really. Simon, on your podcast, goes out of his way to throw shade at that guy, and I love it. <laughs> I love something about the British accent makes him sound more sophisticated when he's trashing a player. I, I well, just, the, the, <laughs> the fun thing about Jakeem Grant is that you don't see him for months, and then when he shows up, he scores a touchdown, and then you don't see him for a few months again. <laughs> so, 
you know, it's just one of those things. But he's electric when he touches the ball. The the problem is you can't touch the ball if you're not active, you know? No, well, no. And that's and I guess it's the thing. So then when you look at the depth chart for skill players, because we know that that's a problem with the New York Jets. Like when you look at their makeup, the fact that they're still bringing in guys off the street like Kevin White, <laughs> the failed wide receiver mm-hmm. Kevin White. The fact that they're digging deep. I mean, you're talking like moving the sofa cushions and digging around spare change style digging for skill players. It speaks to their problems. How deep do the Dolphins' problems run on that front? Or do you think that they're still good enough to get by with what they have on hand? Well, they just cannot take an injury to either Devontae Parker or Preston Williams. That's It's as simple as that. As far as the running backs, I think the running backs are okay. Josh Howard, Matt Breda, that's a pretty good one-two punch. But those wide receivers, like I said, uh, once you get past those two guys, if you take an injury to one of those two, then you start searching. Lately, they've had Matt Collins show up. He's a former Eagle. I don't know if you guys remember him. Uh, he's done okay as of late. And if he actually becomes a starter in their 11 personnel, then they could field a wide receiver core that's going to have 6'5", Preston Williams, 6'4", Devontae Parker, and 6'4", Matt Collins, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. See, and I guess your situation reminds me a lot of, Chris, and maybe you, I mean, you spoke to this when you came up with the great analogy about trying to make cookies. Oh, yeah. The, the, one of the greatest things you've ever up. said. Yeah, it was, Alf, it was one of the, one of the few smart football takes that I had. It's when we got Josh Allen as our quarterback, it's like, uh, you know, Dable was a head chef at a restaurant, and then Bean and McDermott were like, "Yeah, we want you to make chocolate chip cookies." And and Dable's like, "Yeah, I can do that. Chocolate chip cookies. Just give me all the ingredients." Well, here's Josh Allen, a bag of chocolate chips. All right, but I need I need uh, flour. I need <laughs> vanilla extract. No, no, no. This is all you get right now. Is this? <laughs> and when I hear you talk about the state of your wide receiver group. It reminds me of that kind of first building year where the Bills were essentially you're looking at a roster that you're like, eh, it's got some t- some juice at the top. And outside of that, it gets dicey quick. And it sounds an awful lot like where you're at. And when I think about that, I think about the last point that I can't let you get out of here without picking your brain to attack of Viola. It's been I mean, this has been all over the place. The guy, the Omar Kelly's of the world. Safid Dean tweeted out on August 21st, hope Ryan, when Ryan Fitzpatrick had to take a sabbatical for a day for personal reasons. He said, hope Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't gone for too long. Today's quarterback stats in 11 on 11. Rosen, 6 of 14 for 104 yards, one touchdown, an interception, was sacked three times. Tua was 6 of 15, 99 yards, no touches, two picks, and one near interception while also taking a sack. So... I've I've seen, I mean, this sounds like every Dolphin's worst nightmare. I mean, it hasn't gotten better. I mean, today, Omar Kelly, he tweeted out this morning, it'll be interesting to see if Tua can keep building on his good day yesterday. Stay tuned for day seven at training camp. And then immediately followed it up with a quote tweet that's at noon that said, he didn't. That's it. Just he didn't. In typical Omar snarky form, which I know you guys hate him for. Well, he was 7 of 11 and a touchdown today. That's it. See, so this is what I want to pick your brain about. With officials and game simulation, by the way. How overblown is this narrative that Tua Tagovailoa stinks? Because trust me, as Bills fans, we would love to believe it. 
Well, I'll give you his stats because I've been an unofficial stat keeper the entire time in camp, and he's 37 of 59. I don't have that in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's about 62%. Nine touchdowns, two interceptions. He's been sacked five times. He has another interception on a batted ball and a two-point conversion in today's scrimmage. So how is that? Is that good? Is that bad? I think it's pretty damn, damn good for a rookie quarterback. He's had his moments. Now, you know, you can't go off the deep end like most of the media did yesterday when he had three touchdowns and he was lighting it up all over the place and he hit that bomb that you can see on MiamiDolphins.com to Malcolm Perry, a guy who's going to be a contributor on this team, by the way. So So you can't get that excited over that and then get all bummed over Friday. And I will admit, Friday, look, I've been at every practice. Uh, Tua Tonga Bailoa had a horrific Friday. So did Josh Rosen. It was just bad. The defense just smashed them all game, (laughs) all day at practice. So, you know, okay, he had a bad game. He had a bad day. The rest of the days has been okay. He's had some good days, some great days, but no really bad days, really. Just that Friday. God, there's a part of me that wants to celebrate. Because trust me, I don't want to see a division rival get stronger too quickly. But it sounds like sort of to Chris's analogy of the chips and the, you know, chocolate chips and trying to make cookies without all the ingredients to attack at Viola is that as a quarterback at this point he's got some of the nice things you want in a quarterback but he's still finding his feet and I'm sure this truncated offseason didn't do him any favors I just think it's funny that so many people out there in Dolphins Twitter and Dolphins social media and even the even the reporters who get paid to do this for a living have proven to have volatile opinions on this kid when, to your point, statistically, he's 60. I did the math, 62.7% completion percentage. Chris, mm-hmm. has a Bills quarterback completed 62.7% of their passes over the last decade? I have no idea. Well, Maybe I, J.P. Lossman. Oh, God. That's that's my point. So everybody can goose for a buy on that one. But, man, it is nice to get to pick. Chris, it's nice to get some clarity on these things for the other side of the fence. Elf, tell people where they can find you on social media and what you have coming up over on your show. Okay, you can find us at at 3 yards per carry. That's the number 3, yards per carry. And we're available everywhere. We drop tomorrow. Our podcast is tomorrow. And you can find us pretty much everywhere. Spotify, and we're now new to Amazon Music. So you can get us there, of course, on iTunes. And, of course, 5 com. You can see my writing on there, on that website. Folks, we have talked a lot of smack. We've gotten a lot of information about the AFC East. But we wrap the show with the best storylines, in our opinions, coming out of Bill's training camp so far. Chris, I want to start with you. You as the lay fan here, what do you think has been some of the best news you've heard in the last few days? I will buy into what Perino said yesterday about Gabe Davis really being the man. Really? Yeah. Big Wolf. What is it that makes you confident in that? Well, because it makes Nate Geary wrong. Because he was all about <laughs> Isaiah Hodgins and was not that high on Gabe Davis. And so far in camp, it looks to be the other way around that Gabe Davis is being a standout more so than Isaiah Hodgins. So seeing Nate Geary be wrong at something and he would be. One of the smart people. The quote-unquote smart people? Smart people. Which, Nate folks, Geary. keep an ear out because we have a smart people summit happening here on the podcast. We've already confirmed it. It's going to be hilarious. Oh, I can't wait. But with that said, Chris, Gabe Davis, 
Gabe Davis, I'll, I'll buy some of that. I will. And here's why. I think that almost to a point Perino made, you know, he talked about Gabe Davis, his production being house money because you didn't need him this year. No, you got Brown, you're, Beasley, and Diggs. You're already featuring one of the most expensive, what, if not, Chris, I think we are number one in the NFL in wide receiver spending as of today. We were as of the wide receiver position show that we did, a, uh, what, a month ago? Something like that with Nate Geary. So with that in mind, you're right. We have a wide receiver one, we have a wide receiver two, and a wide receiver three. They're already established. Anything that anyone else on the roster gives us is is kind of found money. It's like you find a $10 bill on the sidewalk. You just feel good about it. Yeah. It didn't cost you anything. Gabe Davis might be that guy. Here's the thing about Gabe Davis. I tweeted it out today. I was not high on the pick, but I deferred to the smart people, quote unquote, who essentially articulated that because his route tree was not developed, that he was not a great pick because you need guys who are nuanced route runners in the NFL, right, Chris? Correct. Well... That's the thing. If you want to be wide receiver two, and the comparison I made was John Brown. John Brown being your wide receiver number one. Not terrible. No. But also in pivotal moments. Like the Baltimore game. Yeah. Where he's going up against the, uh, what was this? Marcus Peters Marcus of the Ravens. Marcus Peters from the Ravens. And it's one-on-one coverage with no safety help over the top. And you just need your wide receiver to make a po- make a play. A big boy moment, make a big boy play. Yeah, the Ravens knew that they were going to John Brown. And John, and they left him open anyway. They committed to the blitz. They said, listen, we're going to send the house. Yeah. And because we know John Brown can't beat Marcus Peters. And to his credit, Marcus Peters made the game-winning play. Yeah, and if Dayball was smart, you would have gone DeMarco in that situation. You were running out of time. There was no, DeMarco, yeah. You would, <laughs> you would have gone DeMarco 25 yards downfield. If I ever see a pass like that again, Chris, I'll chew the neck off this bottle, and I, I might stick it in my eye. I don't know. It's it's horrific. That Chris, that play was like getting maced. It was like getting pepper sprayed. Just what did I just watch happen? Ah, but with that in mind, Gabe Davis, he's not. Because here's the thing. John Brown, when you're asking him to be wide receiver one, he's still talented. You can still scheme something for him. He can still be the most reliable guy on your team. But he's not going to be your game winner. But you went out and found that guy. You went out and got yourself a Stephon Diggs. So now you've got a Stephon Diggs who can be your big play guy, big moment guy. You've got a John Brown who's proven, Chris, he can beat a lot of cornerbacks in the NFL. He proved it last year. He was 19% of all of our first downs as a team, as a football team, which is almost embarrassing. You've got Cole Beasley who plays that kind of Julian Edelman role in this offense. Yeah, in the middle, in the slot, always open. He does that nifty work where he, he just has a feel for beating linebackers to space. It's what he does. Yeah. You watch most of his catches, a lot of it. It's not even so much that he's beating, you know, he's not beating the nickel corner. What he's doing is he's finding a way to work into that open gap between some linebackers, and he just settles in there, and he makes good catches. 
So with that established, you don't need much more than that. But then you've got a guy like Gabe Davis who can stretch the field, who's big. I mean, Chris, he's he's a big, powerful runner. High points the ball well. Yep. All the things Perino articulated in our last podcast, you're right. He might be one of the one of the things fans should be the most optimistic about. But I think I could go one better. And that's Allen's deep ball. Because we talked about it with Matt, and here's the thing I see. The fact that we're consistently hearing Allen's deep ball look so much improved, something we talked about. It leaves me with a few thoughts. First of all, last season, people complained that his intermediate accuracy it was terrible. They said it. They ragged on him. They said, Josh Allen, Chris, do you remember him overthrowing uh, whatever that linebacker, Ford, uh, linebacker, running back Ford was? He overthrew him in the flat on essentially just a gentle swing pass, and he threw that ball almost into the first first row? Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so, you bagged on him for his intermediate to short accuracy. By the end of 2019, he was above average in quarterback rating. When you go to NFL next-gen stats and look at his chart, five of the six zones where they measure quarterback uh, passer rating, he was above average in five out of six of them inside of 10 yards. He talked at length about the work that he put in in the offseason to improve in that regard. Well, the front office also went out and got him a pair of wide receivers in John Brown and Cole Beasley, who excel in those areas of the field. So then, Chris, at the end of 2019, the complaint shifted. Because looking at that same chart in our notes here, because you know I love charts. Dad, I got no chart. Back the, 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 deep, the deep third of the field, okay, down the stretch. All of the complaints shifted about how Josh Allen can't throw down the field. And it's true. He was below average in all three portions of the field where QB passer rating gets charted. He's already spoken at length about the work that he put in all offseason in that specific regard. And a lot like last offseason, the team took steps to try and improve in those areas, bringing in Stephon Diggs. Chris, we talked about it in this podcast. He was number one in contested catches down the field. He was number one in catches of more than 20 yards. What, since uh, I think like 2018 or 2017? Yep. And then they go out and they get wide receiver Gabe Davis, who's already showing out in training camp that he challenged Trey White and won on a deep route. Now, maybe that happens. Maybe Trey White has a bad rep. But the fact that this kid who nobody expected anything out of, certainly not me, is making plays down the field as a wide receiver for what did I talk about our inability to run four sets yes we only ran it once or twice all season because we didn't have a reliable fourth wide we put a tight end out there before we ran four wide receiver sets all of a sudden we have this guy who's just stretching the field and making plays in training camp it's found money but also what it shows me is that This team, Chris, I mean, I guess my takeaway and why to me this is the most encouraging storyline coming out of Bill's training camp. Solid quarterback play and elite defense wins you a lot of football. Okay. Solid 
I think Patrick Mahomes proved last year that even without good defense, even without elite defense. Middle of the road defense. Middle of the road defense and good quarterback play can win you a lot of things. I mean, the Chiefs, the Texans have gotten by on that. Yeah. How many teams in football, Chris, get by with average defense? Defense far worse than the Bills have with just better than average quarterback play. That happens a lot. So with that in mind, I can't remember the last time that we as a franchise had a real tangible synergy. And I know people hear that and they laugh or they cringe. I mean, Chris, that buzzword, if you throw that out there during a meeting at work, I want to throw hot coffee in your face because that's all it is. It's a buzzword in most senses of the word. But you see it between our quarterback, our coaching staff, and our front office. You've got a quarterback who actually improves in the areas he needs to. When's the last time we had that? J.P. Lossman. Did he? Trent Edwards. Did he? Gabron Hamden. <laughs> Combined with a front office that piece by piece methodically builds a stable of talent around his deficiencies and a staff, a coaching staff, a Brian Dable, that has a solid plan on how to utilize those pieces to try to maximize their efficiency. Chris, it's training camp. I don't know if that leads to more W's than than losses when the bullets start really flying. But watching the way they've built around Josh Allen year over year, I walk away feeling like this is the most competent Bills organization I've ever seen in my lifetime. I love each and every one of you. We appreciate you showing up every week to support the podcast. And also, this format strikes me as a lot of fun. We're going to keep this going all season long. Every week, we're going to have a different guest from a different from a different AFC East fan base coming on to cover the team, what's gone on that week, and where the AFC lies. Because, Chris, this is the first year where it's ever really felt like, it's up, like, like the bag is up for grabs. Yeah. I mean, Chris, 20 years. 20 years of dominance by the Patriots in the AFC East. Most likely over. This, Chris, that precedes podcasts. Does that precede CDs? I mean, I think cassettes were still maybe the... No, I had CDs. The first CD I ever bought was Presidents of the United States of America. Oh, my God. Followed by live throwing copper. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, while Chris sits here with his mohawk listening to lightning crashes, uh, (laughs) we got to get out of here. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And we look forward to seeing you each and every week with an AFC's Roundup. I'm Drew Geard, that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the AFC's Roundup. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at BetOnline have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.